to catch everybody up to speed is what we've been going through. We've been in the book of 2 Timothy here. And so what we see, some context, is Paul is writing Timothy, his beloved son in faith, his brother in Christ, and he is writing him to encourage him through suffering, enduring, and not compromising the gospel, not being ashamed of the gospel. And the context in which Paul is writing this is really important because Paul is in Rome, and he is imprisoned, he's in chains, and he is soon going to be executed. And he's encouraging Timothy and all of the suffering that it's worth it for the eternal glory. So this is going to bring us to chapter 2, where we're going to be going through verses uh, 1 through 13. And so, like Dave was saying this morning, we here at Revolve, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples of all nations. So it's important when we say this, this isn't something where we came up with and we're just trying to, trying to be cute saying this is rooted in the Word of God. Everything we do should be rooted in the Word of God. Earlier this year, Steve was, Pastor Steve was preaching. He said, the Word of God is the yardstick by which all things should be measured. So how we disciple, why we disciple, how we worship God, all these things need to be rooted in the Word of God because we don't take the Word of God and bend it to fit our narrative of our culture. We are bent to the Word of God. And so in our statement that we exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples, two pieces of scripture generally should pop into your mind, right? Let's think Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And the other piece of scripture is what we're going to be finding here today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. What you're also going to be seeing is what we'll be talking about is we offer, of course, the hub, the ABCs, the discipleship making, which helps equip all of us to do these things. And we're going to see because we've been commanded to in his word. So let's jump in. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to start with the first two verses. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to trust, uh, teach be able to teach others also. So first, let's stop it. Verse one here. So how are we strengthened by the grace of Christ? What does this look like? So in the ABCs of discipleship making, we start with the letter A, abide or remain in Christ, because abiding serves as the bridge to every good and fruitful work. Because what are you strengthened by before you go and try and teach other faithful men who will be able to teach others also? You need to be strengthened, as Paul's writing here, be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus. And we do that by abiding, remaining in God. Because abiding is the bridge to every good and fruitful work. Think John chapter 15. Jesus saying, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding serves as the bridge to every good and fruitful work that we will be able to do. Because if we are not remaining in God, not abiding in him, we're relying on our own strength. And flesh begets flesh, and spirit begets spirit. So we are strengthened by the grace of God. So what does abiding look like? What does it look like to be strengthened by the grace of God? So abiding, we typically will look at it in two, two different ways. Word and prayer. Think Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Paints this beautiful picture of marinating in the word. This, the word is on your heart. God's commands are on your heart. You walk in the way of the word. You teach the word diligently to your children. You have it on your wrist, the frontlets between your eyes, the doorstep on your post. 
The word of God marinates and saturates every aspect of your life. In prayer, we see Jesus before he heads out. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before he heads out and begins preaching to different towns, he first he goes to a quiet, desolate place to spend time alone with God in prayer. So that begs a question for us. How important is it for us if we are going to go into this broken world and want to produce any fruit, how important is it that we first spend time with God in word and prayer? And especially, it's a Memorial Day weekend, guys. We get so busy this time of year, and it's so easy to get swept up in the busyness. But first, how important is it that we spend time with God in word and prayer before we go to our co-workers, before we go to our family members? If we're going to share the good news, we need to come full, full of God's word. And we need to be spending time with him in prayer, growing in the knowledge of Christ, like it talks about in 2 Peter, just not knowing of who God is, but knowing him intimately in prayer. Because it's important that we realize we are constantly being influenced by something. That's why Paul in Romans 12, too, says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Colossians, it talks about renewing your mind daily. And how do we do this? Abiding, remaining in our king, remaining in our commander. And we do that in word and prayer. All right, verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, now, if you've been with us at Revolve for a while, you know this, this verse right here. This is our bread and butter. This is going to be one of the third, first things you're going to hear. If you've ever done the hub, done the ABC's discipleship making, this is going to be one of the first things you hear. This is such a core staple as to who we are. Because culturally, what we see so often here when it comes to discipleship is this model of addition. And what I mean by that is that, hey, give you an example. I'm at work. I make a spiritual statement with a coworker. He seems interested in reading the Bible, wanting to know God. And so what do I do? I invite him to church, and then I seek to just pass him off to someone in the church leadership, an elder, a deacon, the pastor, instead of us taking time to go and disciple them, to open the word of God with them. And typically this happens because we don't feel equipped. We don't feel like we have the authority to teach, the authority to share. And so what ends up happening is it becomes this very slow model of discipleship where instead of all of us leaving here and being equipped to teach, equipped to open the word of God with somebody, that we just bring them and pass them off. But this isn't what Paul is saying here. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's giving this picture of multiplication when it comes to discipleship, right? Think of chapter 1, when Paul's writing Timothy, and he's talking about the spiritual heritage, right? The faith, the sincere faith that first dwelt in you. I first saw in your grandmother, I saw in your mother, which now I see in you. This is multiple generations of disciples, right? It paints this picture of each disciple pouring into the next, teaching the next, and they go and teach the next. Just not one person teaching and pouring into everybody. Everyone equipped here to go and teach. Because think, we all have unique social circles that we are going to go to and engage in when we leave from here, right? We're going to go to where we live. We're going to go to where we work. We're going to go to where we play. We all have these unique influences in these social circles. And in there, we have these beautiful opportunities to share the gospel, to teach and disciple. Like Dave and 
David were both saying this morning, discipleship is relational. And we have been given these unique places in all of our social circles to bring the gospel, to bring the word. Because, guys, do you know how hard and slow it would be if every time we found somebody who was interested in knowing God more, that we were just like, all right, let me go, let me go track down Bill. Do, do you know how hard it is to track down Bill? Have you ever seen how fast he moves in an airport? He is deceptively quick. Because as a church, it's important that we are all equipped to share and teach the good news, right? Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. Their responsibility, he's talking about the church leadership, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this is why we do the ABCs of discipleship making. This is why we teach the hub, so that we can help equip you to go and present yourselves as mature as Christ as you pour into others, as you share the gospel, that you will be equipped to do this. Because why do we exist? To glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. So may we all be equipped to share and proclaim the good news. So now, we're strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and we are entering into a world of brokenness where we are seeking to find faithful men and entrust the teaching them and that they'll be able to teach others also. And as we push the kingdom of heaven into a broken world, there will be suffering. There will be spiritual warfare. Picking up at verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Like Bill was saying last week, what an invitation, right? Share in suffering. This is two chapters in a row we see those exact words. Share in suffering. What, what an invitation. Here's Paul. He's chained. He's imprisoned. He's about to be executed. And he's like, join me, bro. Like, come on. And we get this sense that Timothy might, this might be something he's struggling with because Paul is really zeroing in on this. But it's important to realize we suffer for a higher calling. And not only that, we suffer as a good soldier of Christ. And who better to share this message than Paul? He is in prison. He is suffering. He is chained. And he's about to die for the gospel. This is a part of our identity is to suffer, as our king did. 1 Peter 2.21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, it is your example. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And what does a good soldier of Christ do? He follows his commander. Because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Notice Jesus, the good shepherd, he doesn't tell his sheep, go, lead the way, you go, do the work. Now, the good shepherd leads the way, he did the work, he made the way, he tells his sheep, follow me. Follow me through suffering, follow me through death, and follow me to eternal glory. There's hope in suffering. And there can be joy to be found in suffering. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, 
rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, as, which has been given to us. And not only that, in 1 Peter 5, it says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, who will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And this is why Paul invites for suffering. Because what temporary suffering compares to eternal glory with Christ? Maybe Paul isn't so crazy. Because when we read that, at first it's, what? But now, look, eternal glory with our king. Because let's focus in on more the good soldier, a good soldier of Christ, what he wants, what he aims for, what his purpose is. A good soldier. What can we learn about what it means to be a good soldier of Christ? A good soldier is singularly focused on his task. He's ready to suffer, endlessly loyal to his commander. He doesn't get entangled in any civilian pursuits. He's focused. He has laser-sharp focus on not only what his purpose is, but why he exists. He exists to please his commander. He doesn't put any idols above what his purpose is. His purpose is his commander. That's why he exists. We exist to glorify God. He doesn't put any idols. He doesn't put any earthly glory above his existence and his purpose. He doesn't put any of these things above his commander. As Paul Washer puts it so bluntly, everything that you can see will die and rot. Every title you can earn will be lost. Every glory you receive from men will turn to nothing. Live for that which is eternal. Live for the one who died for you. And the good soldier knows this. That's why the good soldier is willing to suffer. The good soldier isn't looking to live his best life now. The good soldier is looking to live for eternal glory for his commander with his king because that is who he, aim, he aims to please. It's why he exists. And how do we go about being undistracted and untangled, caught up in civilian pursuits? We are in a world where we drown in distractions. How do we avoid that? We abide. We remain in our king. Because we aren't to conform to this world. We're to be strengthened by the renewing of our minds. And we do that through abiding. One of the things we talk about in the ABCs of discipleship making before we hop in and start, we first talk about what is our identity, right? As they were talking, a good soldier of Christ, he knows what his identity is. And what we say is your identity presets your action. If you are sure in your identity and you are firm in who you are as a child of God, your church family, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, you know what your purpose is. You know why you exist. If you're unsure, that will reflect in your action. So a good soldier of Christ, he knows who he is. He is firm in his identity. And what does a good soldier do? He wages good warfare. Think to First uh, Timothy in chapter 1, when Paul was first writing to him. He's warning Timothy about false teachers of this day. This is what Bill was talking about last week. These false teachers who made shipwreck of their faith. And he's encouraging Timothy, wage good warfare. How? Holding faith and good 
conscience. And this brings us to some of the other uh, examples that Paul gives us here in the athlete and the hardworking farmer, right? Good conscience. The athlete has integrity. He doesn't cheat. The athlete runs his race well. And this is a theme when it comes to the athlete that Paul has mentioned several times in his epistles, that he runs the race well. He models behavior that points to something bigger than himself. Paul, when he was writing to the church in Galatia, who were compromising the gospel, they were bringing this gospel of faith and works. And and Paul writes them in chapter 5, saying, stand firm in the freedom of Christ and to not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In verse 7 in chapter 5, he says, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is where we see the examples of the athlete and the soldier coming together. They both stand firm in their faith. They both have integrity because they both are seeking to aim to please something greater than themselves. There's a greater reward in their mind. What about the farmer? We see the farmer. What does he do? He rises early. He does the work. He labors for a future reward. He isn't sloth. He's committed to his task because he has his eyes on something greater. Because what happens to a lazy farmer? Think of Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy farmer who's too lazy to plow his fields at the right time, will have nothing to harvest. A farmer labors for a future reward. He has his gaze set on something greater. Because we were created to do good works. Think in Ephesians 2, where Paul says that we were created for good works in Christ, which God prepared beforehand for us. So when we look at the soldier, we look at the athlete, we look at the farmer, we see these three earthly vocations and roles who are all willing to sacrifice and suffer for something greater. So for us as a good soldier of Christ, how much more should we be willing to sacrifice and suffer for eternal glory with our king? There is nothing we should be putting above our existence and aiming to please our commander. And think of, look at the intent of everything Paul's been saying here to Timothy. Guard the gospel entrusted to you. Don't compromise. A good soldier doesn't compromise. The athlete has integrity. He doesn't compromise. Do not compromise the good news that has been entrusted to you. Be faithful. Wage good warfare, standing firm in your faith, and brings up that you will be suffering Suffering will come. But then Paul does what is the most encouraging thing any of us could do. He gives the gospel. Again, if you look in chapter 1 in 2 Timothy, after Paul gives the invitation to share in suffering, he gives the gospel right after. We see he does this again in chapter 2, picking up at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God cannot be bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because there's nothing more encouraging than the gospel. So as me and Pastor Steve have been doing the baptism class, the one thing we keep telling them is remember this day that you're going to get baptized because there is nothing more encouraging than the gospel. And your baptism should always remind you of the gospel, how you couldn't save yourself and somebody did save you, how you were lost and hopeless and Jesus came, lived the life you should have lived, died the death you deserved. But now he is risen and he reigns. He is your commander. Follow him. 
This is, we never outgrow the gospel. As Bill preached earlier this year, or was last year, I can't remember, but we never outgrow the gospel, and we never outgrow our need of it. And that's why Paul so often, whenever there is mentions of suffering, the gospel shows up shortly after. Because what better way to encourage anybody? It's what Bill and Ryan are doing over in Germany right now. Discouraged brothers who feel lonely. What's the best way to encourage them? Pray with them. Give them the gospel. Remind them of the gospel. It's what we do. Picking up at verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with them, we will also live with them. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Man, this summarizes everything Paul's been saying so beautifully here. Put to death your earthly desires, your fleshly wants. Pick up your cross, follow your king. Through death, we will live with him. Through suffering and running the good race, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. Jesus said these very words himself in Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. When I was first reading this, I felt a little tripped up, right? If we deny him, he'll deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. I was wrestling with this a bit, but then I was thinking, look at Peter and Judas. Both have moments of denying and disowning Christ, yet their lives have two totally different outcomes. Judas fully denied Christ. He disowned him, betrayed him. Peter, he denied Christ three times. What's the difference? Judas' story ends in the betrayal and disowning of Christ. But Peter? Peter repented. He turned back to God. And Jesus, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Faithful as a savior, faithful as a redeemer, faithful as a forgiver. So when Peter repented, he was forgiven, he was restored, he was redeemed, and Peter endured like a good soldier of Christ. Because it's important to remember as good soldiers of Christ, we know what our purpose is. We know what our strength is. It's in our God. But sometimes we stumble. Sometimes a good soldier will falter. Sometimes a good soldier will be faithless. But it's important to remember that we stand firm through faith. Who do we ultimately put our trust in? You know, it's not our perfect faithfulness that gives us salvation it's putting our trust in the one who was perfectly faithful because we will stumble, we will falter. But what happens when we're caught up in sin? Where's the best place to go? To the cross. It's the only place where you'll have no shame. It's the only place where you'll be forgiven. Our sin should never discourage us from coming to God. It should make us run to the cross because it's the only safe place from it. And he is faithful even when we've been faithless. Be comforted by that, because it's not up to you. It's up to him. He's the one who did the work. He's the shepherd who led the way. You're the sheep. Follow him. Sometimes you go astray, but where should a good sheep go when it's in trouble, when it's struggling, when it's made bad choices? It should go and run and cling to a shepherd. 
Because he's faithful, even when we've been faithless. Parents think your kids, sometimes they're going to struggle. Sometimes they're going to turn away from you. Sometimes they're going to turn away from all the ways that you raise them in. And they're going to wrestle in some ugly stuff, maybe wrestle in wickedness. But as a parent, what do you want the most for your kid? You want, you want what's good for them. You want them to turn from that and to turn to you. And if you're a child who has been wrestling and struggling, they turn away and they come to you repentant and sorrowful, and they come to you in tears, how do you respond to that? You're going to throw your arms around them and embrace them, love them, and tell them they're forgiven because you've been forgiven. And you love them. Why? Did they do anything to earn that love? No. You love them because they're yours. So how much more when we're struggling should we run to our Father who loves us? And why do we love him? Because he loved us first. So how do we wrap this all up? How do we land this plane? What does a good soldier of Christ do? He is strengthened by the grace of God. He remains in his commander and his king. It's the reason why he exists. And what does a good commander want to see more than anything? What does a good soldier want to see more than anything else? He wants to see his commander. So we hasten the day. And how do we do that? By making disciples who make disciples of all nations. Because there is nothing more that we should long to see than the beautiful face of our king. And that is why we labor. And that is why we strive. That is why we share. And we're strengthened by him, not us. And I know it's scary to go out and want to share the gospel. I know it's, it can be scary and intimidating to teach somebody, open up the word of God and teach somebody but be comforted. It's not our clever words. It's not our voice that the sheep hear. It's his voice that the sheep hear. It's their shepherds. Be comforted by that. He does the work. We need to be obedient. So this is why we go. This is why we go to Germany to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we go to Qatar. This is why we go to Italy. This is why we go prayer walking on the Wildwood Boardwalk to bring the kingdom of heaven and the good news of a God who saves, a God who is faithful to a broken world. We bring the truth, which is the word of God, to a world that is drowning in lies. And when suffering comes, persecution comes, discouragement comes, we can be encouraged. We can rejoice in suffering because of who our God is. Because the darkness knows its days are numbered. Because we serve a king who conquers. We serve a king who conquers sin. We serve a king who conquers death. It's been swallowed up whole in victory. And this is why we serve. This is why we labor as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I just want to thank you, God, for who you are and all your faithfulness. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope that surpasses all the understanding in this world. We praise you, God, and we pray, God, that you would just fill our hearts with encouragement, that we wouldn't be worried and stricken with fear and anxiety and doubts, but we would want to strive to serve our King above all else, that we would understand that our existence is to glorify you, and we wouldn't put anything above that. We wouldn't put our fears, we wouldn't put our anxiety, we wouldn't put anything above that, above our purpose.
which is to serve you, to please our commander. And we do that by speaking the good news of what Jesus Christ did for us, living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we deserved. We love you and we pray this name. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.